When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One more ingredient was added. It was just added for fun. And just just a, curious, a, a curious question. If there are these quarks, what's holding those quarks together? Well, maybe it's something in here. These are space-time diagrams, of course. Maybe something is bridging between the quarks. And if so, then when you slice through these diagrams, then what you would see is two quarks with something bridging between them. And that something, of course, would have the structure of something one-dimensional connecting a quark and an anti-quark. A string and a pair of quarks. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Feel. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, 10. We did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did it. They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. What's more, what's more... Once a hadron is a string with two quarks connected to it, you can spin it. 
something you can't do to an electron. You can spin it. You can try to calculate with some assumptions about the nature of the material forming the string, its elasticity, its, uh, its various properties, you can start asking how the energy of it, what kind of energy is there, incidentally, first of all is kinetic energy, and second of all is stretching energy. So with some kind of assumptions about the nature of uh, these strings, or this uh, material in here, you can start asking questions about how the energy increases as a function of the angular momentum. Surprisingly, with a relatively simple assumption that we're going to do, and we may get to it today, I hope we get it to it, to it today, uh, we'll see that these pictures are not as arbitrary as they might seem. L versus m squared, or linear function of L versus m squared, is exactly what you need. Now, I, yeah. Why did you suggest that uh, it was something like a string, something new, rather than a normal particle exchange between the two parts? Well, this is, not a, this is not a particle exchange. This is something that's sitting there, all the points of it, between the, uh, between the quarks. This is, if you were to slice it at an instant, in other words, take a look at it at an instant. Here it is at an instant. It consists of a quark, an anti-quark, and a whole bunch of stuff in between. Now, that bunch of stuff in between might have been a collection of particles that are forming a string, you know, that are forming a string-like thing. They might, uh, no, uh, no prejudice about whether it was truly continuous or whether it was just something which was approximating something continuous in between. But there was one thing that made you think there might be something more fundamental about it than just a shoelace. And that was that as far as we could tell, these trajectories didn't end. If you take a shoelace and put a pair of golf balls at the opposite ends of it and spin it around, eventually you'll come to the point where it breaks. And as far as could be told, these rigid trajectories did not break. So it seemed maybe that, uh, that there was something uh, new going on. Yeah. Uh, can the standard model accurately describe pion scattering? Uh, to the extent that the standard model gives rise to a string-like behavior, it can. Um, yeah, the standard model can describe a great deal about pion scattering these days, yeah. Depending on the energy, at very low energies, the standard model has a very good description of pion scattering. As the energy goes up, where you start getting into the issues of these particles being exchanged back and forth, the standard model begins to get a little bit more difficult to deal with, and a string-like picture becomes, uh, becomes uh, more useful. No. Did they know that the trajectory does not end? No, of course not. No. 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 But it didn't give any sign of giving out. And, uh, so what that meant, what it appeared, is this thing could be stretched more or less indefinitely without much happening to it. We'll, we'll come back to this point. Well, in fact, they're not entirely different than gluons. 
In some sense, they may be collections of gluons. In fact, they have to be collections of gluons. The present understanding of it today is something like this, that, um, that the gluon field is like the Maxwell field. Uh, the quarks, you asked me about bar magnets. Okay, so the quarks are like poles of the uh, north pole and south pole of a bar magnet. North pole, south pole. You can't have monopoles. The only way you can have a north pole or a south pole is to have it as the end of a bar magnet. Miss an episode of Public Access America? Download the SoundCloud app now on your iPhone or Android device to catch up. Stanford University. Okay. Or you could say it a different way. You can have dipoles. You can have magnetic fields which look like this. Here it looks like there's a magnetic monopole, lines of flux spreading out. Here it looks like there are lines of flux spreading out. And there might be some reason why the lines of flux form a narrow tube in between. The current understanding of the connection between gluons and these strings goes something like this. Quantum mechanically, fields can be described as either particles or fields. Let's take the field description. In the field description, the gluon field between two quarks, a quark and an antiquark, would be like the field configuration between a particle, between a charge and an opposite charge. It would look like this. That's what the field between a positive charge and a negative charge looks like. The energy as you separate them is the energy stored in the field in between. Now for ordinary electrodynamics, those field lines spread out, and because they spread out, the field diminishes in between them as you uh, separate the field, as you separate the, par the charges. Right. The field lines spread out, the field diminishes in between, and that's the usual pattern. Our understanding today is that the nonlinearities, we've talked about this before, but I'll just mention it again, that the nonlinearities in quantum chromodynamics have the effect of causing these field lines to attract in a certain way. And the effect of it is that the field lines form strings that look like that. As you pull these apart, the string doesn't spread this way. It just gets longer and longer and longer. That's our current understanding. And if you like, it's permissible to think of the string as being made up out of gluons. As you pull it apart, it's not like a shoelace or a rubber band. As you stretch a rubber band, the number of molecules in it doesn't change. The number of molecules in it, and they just stretch. And eventually, because the number of molecules doesn't change, eventually they get too far from each other, and bang, the rubber band breaks. But imagine a rubber band in which as you stretched it, every time there was a gap opening up between atoms, a new atom was inserted in between. In that case, you could imagine that you could stretch this uh, ad infinitum forever without breaking it. And that's the nature of the gluon field between a quark and an antiquark. 
as you stretch it, the energy of stretching goes into creating more gluons in between. And you can just stretch the hell out of that, uh, that system and it won't break. Yeah? Can you extend that analogy to say that the string that makes up, say, an electron is somehow composed of gluons as well? It's composed, well, first of all, we don't know that string, that electrons really are made of strings. No. No, this, all of this physics was taking place on a length scale of the size of a proton. This is an enormous length scale by comparison with the scales of, uh, of quantum gravity, which take place at the Planck length. It's a more or less perhaps accidental fact that, um, that the mathematics of a string theory has described both things. They're quite different. They occur at completely different length scales. But through these considerations, I, other people, began to work out the mathematics of interacting strings. Can you really quantify this? Can you really make uh, a theory of interacting strings which will give you uh, all of the physics of the interacting hadrons? The answer at the time is you looked, it looked promising. It, kept, it looked very promising. In fact, it kept promising and promising and promising like string theory today. Uh, huge promise, but never quite did it right. Okay? For reasons that in hindsight are fairly clear. The precise mathematics that we were using was not quite the right mathematics for studying hadrons. It was the right mathematics for studying quantum gravity. And so we kept getting, as much as we didn't want it, we kept getting particles in the theory with zero mass and spin two. What is that? A graviton. Nobody wanted a graviton. This was a nuisance. Go away, graviton. We couldn't make it go away. Nothing we could do could make it go away. And eventually some smart guy named John Schwartz and Joel Shirk and said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe, well, maybe we're being dumb. Maybe this is a theory of quantum gravity and not a, and not a theory of hadrons. Incidentally, string theory of hadrons finally has been put together with a proper mathematics that does work, but it's a little bit different. Okay, let's talk about, well, okay. Before talking about um, strings, the mathematics of strings, Let's talk about relativity versus non-relativistic uh, kinematics. Public Access America is on Instagram sharing our episode art, snippets of the stories, sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, and more. Search hashtag BigBrainPod for more. Stanford University. Oh, incidentally, just a buzzword. This two-dimensional structure in here, which is, what is it? It's replacing the idea of a world line. A world line is being replaced by a two-dimensional sheet. Such a sheet, I think the term actually goes back to me, was called a world sheet. Today, it's the standard terminology. Uh, so strings 
our world sheets looked at it at an instant in the same sense that particles are world lines looked at at an instant. So that's the, uh, that's the jargon. World sheets and world lines. Sir, can I go back to that diagram? Uh, okay. See that there's a string in there with, it, as it stretches and that put the gluons in tension? No. And so how do you get from a plus to a minus? Well, the lines of flux come out one side and go in the other side. Same way you go from a North Pole to a South Pole in a magnet. Oh, no, to any magnet. Any magnet has two poles. There's always two poles of opposite sign. No magnet has two North Poles. No magnet has two South Poles. Every magnet has one North Pole and one South Pole. North and South are like plus and minus. Is there a black wall in there? A what? Is there a black wall in there? A black wall? I don't know what a black wall is. Despite the fact that I'm the Felix Bloch Professor of Physics, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Could the string be considered either continuous or discrete, or does it make any difference? Well, you see, now you're, now you're running into the subtleties of quantum mechanics. Is the electromagnetic field a continuum? Well, in some ways, yes. Is the electromagnetic field made of discrete quanta? Yes, in some way, yes. Uh, and um, quantum mechanics tells you that, uh, that that distinction between continuum and discrete is a very subtle one. Uh, and I won't try to answer it uh, right now. I think both are true. It's continuum and it's discrete, depending on the way you think about it. All right, next question. Um, Non-relativistic non versus relativistic kinematics. So kinematics are simple ideas about uh, particles, energy, momentum, the symmetries of, uh, of motion. Of On the face of it, relativistic and non-relativistic physics look very, very different. Of course, we know that they're connected to each other, but let's, uh, let's uh, quantify or, or discuss that difference. Yes, yes. Michael, you can always ask your question. As long as you keep bringing me cookies. String being a point in time at the world sheet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you change the angle of that cross-section of space-time, do you still describe what you get as something like a string? Yes, yes. The Lorentz transformation of a, what you're talking about is a Lorentz transformation, of course. The Lorentz transformation is a, is, a, is a moving string, but it's still a string. Absolutely. Right. So if you were to consider a frame in which simultaneity was this line here, you would still be seeing a string, but you would be seeing a string in motion, as opposed to standing still. Uh, right. When I say standing still, incidentally, I mean the center of mass of it standing still. Strings wiggle a lot. They've got a lot of tension and they vibrate a lot, so they don't stand still. But the center of mass can stand still. All right, let's come now to the issue of relativity versus non-relativity. How do you describe a relativistic string? Well, that's awfully complicated. 
Describing anything relativistically is complicated. For example, just the, let's begin with the energy of a particle. The energy of a particle, non-relativistically, point particle, is p squared over 2m. Momentum squared, if the, uh, depending on the number of dimensions, we would have to add up the various components of momentum divided by twice the mass. That's a nice, simple algebraic quantity. The square of a function is uh, easy to compute and so forth. Uh, you might add to this a constant. And the constant you would think of as the binding energy or just uh, the energy of the particle because it's there. So you might put something else there. Let's call it B, the energy that it takes to assemble a particle, whatever it is. The characteristic of it is that it does not depend on the state of motion. It doesn't depend on P. Uh, in a relativistic theory, there's a natural candidate for what this B is. It's the energy of a thing when P is equal to zero, right? I mean, relativity or not relativity, it's the energy of the particle at rest. What is, uh, what are we uh, in the special theory of relativity? What do we put there? MC squared, MC squared of course. So there's a natural thing to put there, which would be mc squared, but let's just think of it as a additive constant, and it's constant only insofar as it does not depend on p. It might vary from different kind of particle to different kind of particle. It could be the binding energy holding together an atom. It could be whatever, but it doesn't depend on the uh, overall motion. And for many purposes, you can just drop this because it's always there and uh, doesn't, uh, energy differences don't depend on it. So p squared over 2m. And p squared over 2m is terribly easy to manipulate. It's just a thing that you, uh, it's just quadratic. Uh, of course, if you have many particles in a system, then what you do is you add up the energy. If they're not interacting, and you also add up the internal binding energy, internal energy, you could call it. You add them all up. Again, this doesn't matter because energy differences don't, uh, are insensitive to it. Now, how do we get this from relativity? Let's remind ourselves what the formula for the energy of a particle is. The energy of a particle, this is E. All right, in relativity, it's equal to the square root of p squared plus m squared. It's of course, this, I'm going to correct this in a minute, but it's of course equal to the sum over all the particles. Let's just write it as E equals the sum over all the particles in the system of p squared plus m squared, where p squared is px squared plus py squared plus pz squared, or however many dimensions we wish to take into account. Well, why take into account? However many dimensions are appropriate to the problem. So this would be pi and mi for the ith particle, and also x, y, and z, and whatever else. Okay. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. Fantastic.
place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you and nobody, nobody, gonna hit as hard as fight. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get and keep moving forward. How much you can take it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel. For my dad. To prove to everyone that I what? Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the history making. In the making. 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 History in history the making. In the making. Public Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free on your Android device or iPhone. And subscribe to Public Access America. Stanford University.